Hey, this is Web Free Talks. The rule of this podcast is simple. We only talk with people who have hands-on web-free building experience. So if you are a hacker, entrepreneur, or investor, you can get inspired by their stories, lessons, and fuck-ups. My name is Mac, and I'm hosting this pod. If you want to stay in touch, go to twitter.com slash webfreetalks, click the link in the pinned tweet, and join our Discord community. Let's go. There has not been any episode for quite a long time because I've been traveling. I've been to Miami, Austin, New York, and also in Palm Beach on a permissionless conference. And all my traveling was focused on the crypto slash web free space. And in New York City, I finally had a chance to meet Geoist, who I knew from one of the Discord channels. And he has shown me his tool in action, the tool that he's been working for a long time with uh, Leonard, one of the, the, the second co-founder. And this tool is named Idiris, and it's a tool that on surface just lets you link your wallet address to your email, Twitter handle, or phone number. But when you dig deeper, it's much more. So we'll talk a lot about it. But before we get into the story behind the product, let's start with the traditional warm-up. So guys, how you ended up in the crypto space? Yeah, uh, first of all, thanks for, for inviting us. For me, it's my first podcast ever. So happy to have this new experience with you guys. How I got into crypto. So it was summer 2017. One of my friends from Scandinavia introduced me to Stimit, you know, the blockchain social platform. And at the beginning, I was just slightly interested. There was a, there was a lot of skepticism. But the, the more I was learning about crypto, the more conviction I, I was getting. And in the next years, I was focused on, on running a hard tech startup, building up dev skills on, on the side. It's one of my hobbies since my teenage years. And, you know, at some point, it just all merged together, the startup experience with the, with the dev skills and meeting Leonard. And now I'm deeply involved in building in crypto for for one year now. Mm-hmm. And Leonard, how about you? Yeah, I mean, I think for me, it's pretty much the same old story as a lot of people in this space. It's just a friend that showed me what Bitcoin is, what Ethereum is. It was also in late 2017, just a normal friend. And we just started talking about all these things and he got me interested in it. So back then I didn't really know much about it. So I just thought, why not? I bought some, some cryptocurrencies. I uh, must admit, not one of those big ones, but smaller smaller projects that are from our area. And that's my first interaction with crypto. But then since last year, when I met uh, GRS, I think uh, I got more into this whole technical aspect of it and how it all works. I've always been interested in the technical aspect because I'm from my background uh, more in, in the research area of data science. So I've always been interested in that. But uh, for a year now, I've been deeply involved and, and working on this. Mm-hmm. So you're basically two tech guys when it comes to your experience. I'd say so, yes. With some business background, mm-hmm. the hard tech startup experience was was very useful. Mm-hmm. Okay, great. So let's get to IDRIS. I'm not sure whether it should be called IDRIS or IDRIS or like what's the proper pronunciation? <laughs> IDRIS. 
we can share a story about how the name originated. It's uh, it's pretty funny. Okay, so, so let's start. Like, what's the story behind the company and the name? We met with Leonard in in 2020, two years ago in, in grad school, and became friends. Uh, we're spending a lot of time together. Then traveled to some interesting places in the U.S. And actually, for me, Leonard was the first real like non-internet friend that I started to talk with uh, about crypto in a long time. And so it got me interested in crypto back again. And I think we've, we decided without saying, like, hey, let's, let's do something. And one day we were sitting in Gregory's coffee shop in Manhattan, Flatiron District, <laughs> and played around with creating own token. And Leonard wanted to send this token to me. And we realized that in order to, to do it, I need to open my MetaMask copy my wallet, paste it into WhatsApp, then Leonard has to go to WhatsApp, copy the address and paste it into his MetaMask. So then we realized there could be a better solution here. And we almost started to sketch the solution on the back of a napkin. That's how the Web3 address book, part of Idris was born. And we started building MVP on the side. And then as we dug deeper into the user experience of crypto, we realized there's even more opportunity. There's even bigger opportunity because, you know, the technological threshold is for regular people to get into crypto is so high that we said, hey, let's build a suite of Web3 tools around some real use cases like payments. And will be, these tools will be accessible for non-crypto native regular people like, like our parents, for example. because everyone should have an equitable access to crypto and the benefits of it. Freedom, cheap transactions, instant transactions, and investment opportunities. Okay. So, Leonard, would you add anything to the story? Uh, yeah, maybe to touch on, on the name uh, a little bit. When we first started, we didn't have a name, obviously. The name is not something you, you start with. But we then quickly realized it's it's something around identity and, and di digital identity that we're doing here. So we wanted a small, well, very short, but strong name, starting with ID. And one of my classmates is called Idris. He's uh, from Ivory Coast, uh, grew up in France. And we thought in the beginning, actually, as a, just as a joke, uh, okay, let's, let's just call it Idris for now. Then as the time went on, we, we met a few people, got feedback, and Turned out the name is not too bad, especially when we change the pronunciation from address to address, which is much closer to, to address. And that, that's how, mm -hmm. how we ended up here. Yeah. And Idris is still mad at us <laughs> up to this day. Yeah. Maybe one day he'll be famous, you know. I like this name because it's, it's pattern breaking. I mean, like, it doesn't sound like all the other crypto names that are pretty, like, you know, everything sounds very, like, AF flow you know cells just like these are like very soft names and idris is like a very hard name that's what i like about it there are many solutions that can provide like some sort of identity people play around with some decentralized social but like the most prominent one is ens like most people know ethereum name service you buy a domain as if you bought dns domain and you can link your wallet so you Instead of typing like 0x25bs7, you just type like, I don't know, meg.eth and then people can send me money. 
I watched your demo when we met in New York City, and I played around with the tool as well. And I know that your approach is different from ENS, that you're basically a pretty different tool. So could you expand on that? Like, how are you different? Oh, yeah, totally. ENS is a fantastic product and community, one of the OG communities on, on Ethereum. I also own my ENS domain, but there are just some things that make IDRIS better positions for non-crypto native people. There are three key differences. So first of all, it's just less friction for the user to something what they already have, like the Gmail account or phone number, rather than creating a new name and, and appending .eth to it. Another difference will be Lots of us pay the huge triple-digit dollar value gas fees for Ethereum, which is just not going to work if we want to scale beyond the core crypto people. Idris, because Idris is built on architecturally on Polygon, there is less than one cent gas fee. And finally, people want to own stuff. People don't like to rent stuff. That's the case with ENS. You basically have to pay a yearly rent. While with Idris, you pay one-time fee. Mm -hmm. So I think one of my favorite or most important aspects to it is this whole renting versus owning aspect. Especially if I go ahead to ENS and buy Mac.eth and you don't have it yet, you cannot buy it anymore, right? I would buy your, your name.eth. That's not possible with, with Idris in the sense that you have to verify your email, phone number, or Twitter name by one-time password or tweeting some mm -hmm. sentence, which doesn't allow for a market around your identity, really. If you are not fast awesome. enough, you, you cannot own your identity. That's, that's not really a good definition mm -hmm. of, of identity, in our opinion. Yeah, I think it is a problem of this. Uh, <laughs> I think it's called squatting, you know, where people just buy uh, different domains and try to sell it. And it's such a big pain in the, ass, in the DNS world where you want to buy a domain and there are like so many companies that are just buying all the coolest names and just try to resell them at 100x profit. So I think it's, it's really interesting that you are kind of, what you do is you take current identity that people have, email address, phone number, Twitter, handle, these are identities. And you just add a link to the wallet, to the identity they already have. And in the ENS, I kind of have to build my new identity with this, this Mac that ETH because like people need to learn, okay, so this is his new address I need to use in some places. And with email address or phone number, there's like less friction. It's, it's kind of like a fintech experience. Like if I have someone's phone number, I can send them money on Venmo or Revolut. I don't need their account address or anything like that. Totally. It makes sense. You know, it's like you can think of it as a web two to web three address book, mm -hmm. right? Yes. Something that's kind of like a bridge between these two worlds. The thing is also that, you know, with address it's more, I'd say, stealth mode in that sense. If you have your ENS, you see a lot of people on Twitter having their username as their name.eth. So what we do is, in that sense, a little less sexy, actually, because people cannot show it off, right? They cannot mm -hmm. show off, hey, my Twitter name now is my wallet address. There's not, nothing to the Twitter name to show it off. I think it was a very smart also growth tactic to make people add this ETH to their Twitter handles, because when I first seen it, I was very curious, like, mm. what's that? And then I learned there's something like ENS. We also saw that a lot of people add 
ETH to their name without even owning that ENS name or without the yeah. ENS name even existing. You know, we, we look up the ENS names and we see that it's not even registered. So some people add it to their name <laughs> without even knowing what it actually is. Yeah, yeah, that's true. If I could expand on the differentiation between us, between IDRIS and ENS is, you know, first of all, part of our thesis is that there's not going to be a one winner takes it all kind of thing, but rather a range of products like ENS, Unstoppable Domains, IDRIS and others that will work across different use cases in a, in a complementary way. And I'll throw a quick example where IDRIS to Twitter connection works perfectly. For example, governance platforms. If you're delegating your vote to someone on, on Snapshot, for example, you don't want to delegate your vote to 0x123. You would want to know more context about this person. So with IDRIS integrated, you would just go to someone's Twitter profile, check out their posts, or even reach out to them. Mm -hmm. That's the use case okay. uh, for, for IDRIS. And beyond that, IDRIS, the Web3 address book is just one part of IDRIS. We're building a whole suite of tools on, on top of it. Okay, okay. We will get to that. Uh, definitely, I have this question on my list. But I would like to ask you about one thing that's not clear to me. Like, let's say I, I bought IDRIS domain, which I did. <laughs> I, have, I have linked my uh, Twitter handle with IDRIS. But let's say someone got access to my Twitter handle because I don't know, they hacked me or whatever, or I just, you know, left my computer open. Can they open my wallet or is it just like, what could they do if they get access to my email address or Twitter or phone number? Nothing really. Once you connected your wallet with your Twitter name, there's this mm -hmm. connection between these two, right? But the wallet that paid for the transaction and the sign-up mm -hmm. process is the wallet that has the power to delete a link or change the owner of a link or, you know, set up a re reverse uh, record, which is helpful for the DAO dashboard example mm -hmm. that Joe has just talked about. So the Twitter name itself has no power about the wallet that you've Okay. Okay. So it's all about wallet. Like if they yes. don't get access to my wallet. Exactly. Okay. Sounds very safe. I know that like today you have over 800 users that paid their 10 bucks for IDRIS and 3,500 addresses in the registry. And could you share how have you acquired them? Like, you know, let's go back in time. You have zero users. What do you do? Yeah, I think it um, was definitely an interesting time in the beginning, you know, as a, as a new project with zero followers on Twitter. What do you do, right? What we did is we really just jumped around conferences in real life, talked to people, showed them our project and onboarded them on the spot. In the beginning, everything was still free. So there was no threshold here. But there's actually one funny story. I think it was in, in the summer, even last year, I picked up Jiris from, from the barbershop. And he was walking out of the shop with someone talking about Ethereum and, and blockchain just because they sat next to each other getting the haircut. And that was actually someone that we, we then signed up as one of our first, first customers at the barbershop directly. And he continued to work with us on, on ideas after that. It was, was a really uh, refreshing refreshing exchange <laughs> with him. Okay, so you definitely started offline, like this is a, in a very like yeah. traditional way. We shared everything online as well, but as you know how it goes with, with a project of less than 100 followers, 
that's mm -hmm. it's hard to reach out to people. You're starting with zero. You're starting with this empty room problem, mm -hmm. and you have to fill it somehow. So things like like just Leonard mentioned help definitely. And you know because because in this early stage there are not big numbers yet. We were pretty much able to attribute the the peaks in registration to some single events, even as small as some post on Twitter. And I think the first big peak we had was, you know, in February during the ENS drama with Brantley. Mm -hmm. It was just lots of people just just wanted to wanted to leave uh, or find alternatives. And we just basically said, hey, guys, there are alternatives. And we, we, we observed a nice, nice wave of registrations back then. Mm -hmm. or, or another thing was sometime during Eve Denver, we made some community initi initiative, rewarded users who invited other Discord users with some symbolic tiny sum of Matic. Mm -hmm. And that was apparently picked up by... I think it was a Chinese community back then that joined us. I think the second peak was Eve Denver, right, in February this year. We had a peak in more specifically Discord invites because we had this community initiative to reward invites with some symbolic sum of Matic, which is our native currency at, uh, at Idris. And the way we got the word out was, I think, through East Denver, because again, we were walking around in real life uh, signing people up. But every time someone signs up, they would have to tweet, hey, I'm verifying my identity with Idris mm -hmm. and so on. So that's how, how people saw that, that even bigger names were tweeting about Idris, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah, and another peak was, I think, when we released our public mission statement, where we are saying basically, hey, over the long term, Idris will decentralize as a protocol and we will share the ownership with the community. So that was also picked up and circulated quickly and we observed some peak of registration. Mm -hmm. And even bigger one, the biggest... So far we had, you know, there is this key trigger word on Twitter, which is drop your wallet address, mm -hmm. drop your ENS. We just went viral and we had the biggest peak of registrations and uh, website visits in, in the history of the project. One thing we did when we looked for the ways we can grow the registry is after Twitter announced the NFT profile picture functionality, we scraped everyone's name and profile picture from everyone that was following the Twitter Blue account at that day. Mm -hmm. I think it was about, about 90,000 people. And out of the 90,000, around 2,500 people, I think, or 2,000 people were fast enough to upload an NFT profile picture. And with that, we actually had a way to verify someone's wallet address. Because, you know, as, as we just said, you can upload anyone's ENS name as a username. It doesn't verify that you own the wallet address. But if you have an NFT profile picture, we can click on the picture and go to OpenSea mm -hmm. and uh, use the, the blockchain functions that we all know and uh, look at who owns this NFT. So mm -hmm. we scrape all the data to get some kind of starting point and, and edit them to the registry. Mm -hmm. There are some nice, pretty famous crypto people in the, in the registry because of that, like the founder of Wallet Connect, 
or even I looked it up before the, the call. I realized your previous guest, Austin Bunsen from mm -hmm. Quick Note, he also is one of the people who were airdrop and Idris. Oh, really? This is an alpha leak. They don't know about it yet. <laughs> okay. <laughs> we're going to announce it soon. Okay, uh, great. So like, it looks like you've done a lot. Like you, you started offline with like this very manual, doing things that don't scale and just uh, getting people on board. You used this ENS drama to to grow. You you added like community building initiative on Eve Denver. Published your mission statement. Used some classic drop your wallet address and and you also done scraping. So that's quite a lot. And now I understand you know why you have grown. Even though like you are not an old project, you are a pretty young project to be honest. You already have some interesting traction. So when I'm talking about growth, like it's very hard in Web3 because in Web2, when you have a user that uses your app, you know that he uses the app because he's intrigued or really wants it or really needs it. But in Web3, some people use your app because they are airdrop farmers because they're like, oh yeah, I will get like 100 bucks because I'm one of the first users and so on. So when you work on a product and you have to make decisions about like where do we want to expand, which way we want to take, how do you find the signal from real users in this sea of airdroppers' noise? Like, you know, how do you verify it and follow through? I agree here. And most of the people in crypto still are purely for investment, speculation, or airdrop farming purposes. But I think it's worth here to differentiate between some large-scale organized airdrop farmers, civil attackers, versus some individuals, individual airdroppers who are essentially just users expecting to be rewarded for early participation. At the end of the day, rewarding early users and contributors of a Web3 project in the long term is, is a no-brainer. It's the essence of Web3 to, to mm -hmm. share the ownership. And these users, are, they are also a part of the community and actually are a great source of feedback to the product. And we observed that some of them even turn to be contributors like mods, uh, OGs in our Discord, or people creating memes. So I think it's important to talk to everyone, give a chance to everyone, talk to people in your Discord. And even if they jump in and ask a question, like the first question they ask is, when is TGE, like the token generating event? You still can encourage some positive behaviors here and try to turn them maybe to become your contributor. Mm -hmm. I mentioned this when TGE because we exactly had this situation a few days ago. Someone jumped to our Discord to the welcome room and said, hey, when TGE? And I said, hey, is this really the first thing you ask in a room full of people? And, you know, LOL. But then I said, hey, you're still welcome here. Make yourself at home. And it is important to talk to people mm -hmm. and maybe they will stick around and turn out to contribute in a positive way. Yeah, because like it's, you know, it's kind of true that, you know, many people think, yes, yeah, some people just use it for airdrops and it's true. But also like sometimes you use something because of the airdrops. Like I used Arbitrum a, a few days ago because I felt like, okay, I might get an airdrop. 
And I was also curious about it because I used optimism before and I wanted to see like, what's the difference. But the point is, even if a person uses it for a token, they already used your product. So, you know, they have some experience and they have crossed the chasm, like this chasm of like, you know, not being early majority. So like they get encouraged to cross their own reluctance to trying new things. So I think like, even though like there are definitely some organized airdrop farmers in the world, I think like in the long run, it's uh, kind of not that important threat. Like if you do it right, obviously, because like you can do it terribly wrong. But yeah. Yeah. I mean, these kind of airdrop farmers that you just mentioned, if you want to call them airdrop farmers, even people that are just curious to, to see what a product product is about, they're actually a good sign, in my opinion. You know, they, they saw your product, they're interested in it, uh, they test it out. And yes, there might be some kind of reward in the future, but they're mainly interested in, in what it's about. And generally as a project, I mean, airdrop farmers are, are everywhere. You, you probably cannot go around them, but we have seen some kind of, you know, I would say decline even in these organized activities uh, with the markets being down right now. I guess it's much more interesting for them with uh, markets and, and all-time highs. So that's a good sign, even though a lot of projects, you know, slow down development in this time. But generally, as as you said, these talks in our Discord server, we we try to avoid token talks. And when people ask questions around token, we encourage them to contribute, even with simple things. It doesn't. It don't even have to be have to be technical. You know, we have co-op design challenges for community calls, for example, where they can easily contribute. Mm-hmm. Okay, so I would like to go to this question: like, how do you take care of the community? Because like. The thing I learned, I, I joined your Discord channel and Gio is just like tagged me, oh, he, here's Mac, like he does a podcast and like made a very personalized introduction that I like very seldom experienced on, and I'm part of like too many Discord channels, like I don't know, like, maybe like 50 or something. <laughs> so I'm wondering like, what's your method of building the community? I think the thing you just brought up is First of all, we imagine that Discord is a room, like with the people inside. So when someone enters, we just greet him, right? It's exactly the same thing. That's why this uh, personalized experience. And speaking to this question more broadly, and also referring to what we what we were talking about earlier, it's like the most important thing to build the community is to have this incentive aligned. So that's why in the public mission statement, we said IDRIS will be a decentralized protocol and everyone will be able to own a piece of it. And this is the thing that makes people basically volunteer now because all the work that is being done by mods, by OGs, it's all a volunteering work now that wouldn't have been done without the expectation of owning a piece of IDRIS in the future. Another thing I would say is the way of communicating. I don't know if you've seen that graphics somewhere talking about how to build a community, but on the one hand, you have this huge megaphone, right? One person with the megaphone talking to a group of people. Mm-hmm. Or on the other hand, you have this group of people chatting together. Mm-hmm. Like This is the, the basic idea. Instead of just simply announcing things to people, talk to them, mm-hmm. right? This is the, This is the thing. So it's like a difference between a concert and house party where you kind of like on a concert, they listen to one person 
you know, singing a song, but like on house party, they interact between each other because otherwise it wouldn't be a good party. That's a great comparison. Oh man, I love this parallel. I would bring it even further. It's like, instead of a concert where there's only a finite number of people playing the music, Mm -hmm. you just, we do like a jam session and you Mm -hmm. give out, you hand out instruments to everyone in the room. Mm -hmm. Makes sense. And do you do community calls? We do. We just... We just had a, our first community call last week and for that community call and talking about uh, collaboration and, and contributions, we had this POAP design challenge. So the POAP for the community call was designed by someone in our community. So mm-hmm. uh, I think we had six different designs up for a vote and there was a voting period of a couple of days and then the, the winning design um, is now submitted to, to POAP XYZ. And um, just coming back to the community aspect of it again, when we build the product, it's not us building what we think is right. For example, we have this one channel in our Discord server that is open 24 hours in, in a voice channel. So people can always jump in and ask questions if they want. We have a proposal channel in which people can say, hey, can you please add website abc.com? In this case, it was poorxyz to the supporters of the browser extension. So we ask people in our Discord server what they want to see. We develop what they want to see. And if they want to develop that, it on their own, they're welcome to do that. Mm-hmm. Okay, sounds interesting. So how big is your Discord community right now? Well, how many people do you have? It's around 2,000 people right now. Oh, that's a lot. Yeah. Also, another thing what we do is you know, when someone tweets the verification tweet, we know that they are trying out the product. Then we are we are shooting them DM on Twitter right away. Oh, if we see that this person is already onboarded and finished the registration process, we have a welcome message and kind of guiding with what are the next steps mm-hmm. to do. And if we see that the registration that the tweet was there, but the registration didn't happen on the contract, then we say, hey. What happened here? Do you need any assistance? That's very interesting because of your product design. As you know, at this point, wallet to wallet communication is not like it's in the working and it's not that advanced yet. But like if people connect your tool with their Twitter, you actually have some user data because you know you can see, okay, the guy with this handle is using my tool, contrary to like 0xf6782 uses my tool. So like from your like product development point of view, it's interesting because like it's good for users, but it's also good for you because you can track them down and, you know, ask them if they want some help or do they have any suggestions? So that's a very interesting consequence of your design yeah i think it's important to to note here that we're not collecting we don't have a database where we say okay mac on twitter just signed up what we do is we see we have twitter open all the time when we're on on our computer and working we see someone tweeted and we personalize the messages even so we we Mm -hmm. click on the profile see what's the background if it's a developer we ask them to no we ask them to join our discord anyway but we might even tell them, hey, we currently working on, on, on this feature. Could you help here, for example? So I think it's a really important aspect that we are here not collecting any data. We're nevertheless having this advantage of seeing who is trying to sign up or who is signing up. 
And then we, we are looking for this not automated process of contacting those people. Mm -hmm. I'd like to also mention three things regarding the question, how do we take care about the community? Because I think they're, they're super critical here. First of all, we make sure that everyone is up to date with what's happening. That's why we have this product and community update series on our mirror.xyz blog. Then another thing is we not only talk together, but also we spend together. So we're doing an experiment currently. Mirror.xyz released this feature of letting to mint your blog article as an NFT. Mm -hmm. So what we will do is we will let 100 people own a piece of the first historic product and community update. So the funds we raise from this, we are going to run a proposal contest in our Discord and the best proposal will just, we'll be able to decide on how these funds are, are being spent. And also a smaller thing that also matters a lot and we see people value it is decide together on some small things like giving an OG role mm -hmm. to, to people on Discord. So the current OGs can nominate other OGs, basically. Okay. And we get a tons of appreciations for that from, from people. Okay, great. So guys, like your product, like people see it as a web-free phone book or like uh, address book, but it can evolve in many directions it can you can add payments platform decentralized social media DAO tooling and many many other products so i'm wondering like do you have any ideas like which paths do you consider for idris totally i think i showed you even some alpha in in nyc when we met so web3 address book is just the beginning for us what we're building now is like a completely new vertical to IDRIS, which is payment processing, crypto payment processing. And there will be two tools here. One of them is like a shortcut for online creators to get tips in crypto, like on platforms like Twitter, Twitch, YouTube. And the other tool is like a shortcut for online merchants to accept crypto payments. Uh, so you would have like a pay with IDRIS button in the checkout. So essentially what PayPal did to eBay and Amazon in, in 2000, 2001. Now, why this is huge and why we're so excited about this is imagine when you're now paying with your Visa or MasterCard, you're paying this 2.5% fees, right? What if portion of that fees could go back to you in some way, right? Or what if you could decide on how these funds are spent? So... This is the end game we imagine, like a community-owned, community-operated, decentralized payment processor like Stripe, Visa, or MasterCard that you as a IDRIS owner, token holder, can, can have an impact on. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but there are even smaller things that we want to build around the address book, right? The address book is really the, the baseline of all the products we build around it. Besides this payment processing path, we're also looking into let's just call it twitter spaces rewarding mechanism right so let's say you have a twitter space or discord voice call there's still not a real especially for twitter spaces still not a real solution for rewarding people that jumped into the call and and listened to you so what would be great to have is a tool where you can just input the url of your twitter spaces and then it would give you a list of wallet addresses that are eligible for 
POAB or an NFT drop or some kind of other reward. Right? So everyone that is in the call and signed up to Idris, they will be able to you know, get the wallet address mm -hmm. into this list and be whitelisted, for example. Yeah, like for people who haven't tried Idris yet, like the thing is like you can add Google Chrome extension and see who already has Idris. So they, they have like a green dot next to their Twitter handle. And what you guys are working on, as far as I understand, is that like if I click that dot, I could send someone like, I don't know, like one dollar because I like their post. So mm -hmm. yeah, you could kind of like integrate these tools that are already there, like Twitter, or Twitch, and so on, and just add this like one click tipping. Exactly. Yeah. So that's the browser extension that you mentioned. That's for now at least the central part of the user experience. You have a browser extension mm -hmm. for Chrome, Firefox, and Edge. People can download it to use Idris wherever they go on the browser, right? Okay. It's a great way to bridge the time until we, we go for integrations on a code level. Because if, okay. we, if we go for, I don't know, integration with Coinbase now, we would shout against a big wall, you know? There's no way mm -hmm. they would even consider that. But with a browser extension on, we can let users use Idris on Coinbase anyway, right? They would just open the plugin, uh, the browser extension, put in a Twitter name, email address, phone number, and use that on Coinbase. And the functionality that you just talked about on Twitter, yes, it looks at all the Twitter names on Twitter. If a Twitter name is signed up with Idris, it gets the screen icon next to their name, and you can click on it or hover over it and select an amount, a network, and, and a coin that you want to use and, and send it to this person directly. And this is actually a functionality that we are testing right now. It should come out in the next couple of days. As always, test responsively, but um, yeah, we're, we're looking at yeah. the version of this to be applied also to, to Twitch, for example, which is much more tipping mm -hmm. native. Expanding on Leonard's point here, yeah, we are aware that Twitter is not the, the biggest tipping market, but uh, we are doing it for, you know, the whole crypto Twitter exposure purposes. But as Leonard said, we are moving to some bigger tipping markets like Twitch mm -hmm. streamers game and gamers. Okay. And I'm wondering like what have been some dead end streets so far, but like or, or some big, big lessons that you learned on the way? I think it's not necessarily dead end street, but one one thing we, we faced was especially in the beginning, and I think that was more a problem on, on my side here. We worked on the technical aspect first. It worked, and then we wanted to get it out there, right? Uh, so we built a website, and, and this is where it started. We were under the impression that this website has to be perfect because it's customer-facing. We spent hours and hours and, and days and weeks on figuring out what's the right color for this button, what's the right font type for this page, what's, what margins should the button and the text have, all these things. And then... Once we were satisfied, we, we put it online and that people use it. And what can I say? Not even a month later, we had a completely new design. So don't do that. <laughs> Build a version <laughs> that works, put it out there, get feedback from your users, from your customers, because you're going to change the design anyway. I think since we started, we have two or three new designs. And in the next year, we'll probably change the design again. So yes, the design is very important. It's the user experience that counts. But to test your product and to get user feedback, just get it out there with the with the first working version. Yeah, that's, that's true. Like I took part in design of many many websites, and like 
over delivering the first version is a very common problem. Like, you know, in your case, at least there were like two people, not like 25, because sometimes it gets even more complicated. Okay, guys, so we are heading to the end. So I have a few questions that I always ask. The first one is what was the most mind-blowing web-free project that you have seen so far? For me, I'd say, I think I would, I would say Gnosis is safe right now, just because I love how it works. We use it for everything we do as a multi-sig, all of our funds. It's great that you can just initiate a transaction and tell the other guy or the other guys in this case, hey, can you please look at it? Is the transaction correct? And confirm it once it is. It's really like uh, you can think of it as a you know shared bank account in that sense. And we mm-hmm. actually looked into that possibility as well. It's Let's say you linked your Twitter name or email address to your safe and mm-hmm. you would be able to transact with any wallet you want your your metamask on your phone your rainbow on your phone your i don't know tally ho wallet on on your desktop computer different wallets but from one shared shared bank account that's really something um, that has a lot of potential i think yeah i'm also a big big fan of this tool like i i know it only from like the from the outsider perspective, I, I haven't used it. I, I haven't been like a multi-seeker yet, but I know how it works and I I will be glad to, to try it once. Quickly, from my perspective, I fell in love with EmpireDAO concept, mm-hmm. a place you, you visited when you were in NYC. TLDR, it's a Web3 native co-working space right in the heart of Manhattan. So it's a group of people who collected funds, uh, built a DAO, and uh, rented a landmark, I think, five-story building and turned it into a Web3 co-working space, which we have pleasure working from. And the number of great people we, we met there is, is just amazing. Mm-hmm. So what has been the funnest thing that happened? Something that made you smile, laugh, or you know, just blew your mind in a, in a positive, positive way? So there is this project called 101.xyz. Basically, it's a simple courses online that that give you crypto rewards, NFTs. Mm-hmm. And we launched a, a basic course for getting familiar with IDRIS there. We launched it just in a, as an experiment. So there was some simple ID certificate of completing the course as NFT mm-hmm. that could be collected by people. And... After like two or three hours, we've seen, oh, 50 people did the course and claimed it. And we are checking back in, in a few more hours, 800 people. And at that point, we had like 400 people in our Discord. So we were super surprised. But then we're checking back in a few hours and it's 5,000 people claiming the, the badge. So we did some post-mortem with team from 101XYZ and we realized it was just an organized airdrop farming attack and team was even able to localize the traffic came from Indonesia and he even found a post in some Indonesian farming group that people were sharing answers to this quiz, like some super, super basic quiz. Okay. Yeah, that was fine because it, it also drained their their faucet, I think, within a few hours because they let you mint the NFTs on, on Polygon, so mm-hmm. they pay for the gas fee. That stopped, stopped their site from working for a while. 
Yeah, each NFT minting, I think it's one cent. So with five five thousand mint, we told the team, hey, whenever you are you are in New York City, we owe you a pizza. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> okay. So guys, if like people would like to learn more about the product, where should they go? Is it like a website, Twitter, Discord? Yeah, I think uh, the website and then Discord is a good place to start. From our website, you can go to our docs as well and get up and, and everything is linked there. But on Discord, you can always just uh, shoot your questions and, and even jump on a call with us. We're always there. Okay, and what's the address of the website? It's idris, I-D-R-I-S-S dot X-Y-Z. Okay. And the Twitter account is at idris underscore XYZ. Okay. And from there, you can quickly find a, a link to our Discord. So jump in, talk to us. Maybe you will, you will want to contribute. Okay. So guys, last question before we end. Like, Do you have any ideas for a person that I might invite next? Someone who is a builder like you that might be open to sharing their story. Oh, yeah, definitely. I, I think Leonard with, will agree here with me that you should invite Matt uh, Luongo or Chris from Taliho Wallet. Quick TLDR about them. You know, they basically said, hey, MetaMask is no longer an open source wallet since August 2020. And, you know, they have all these big, huge companies in, in their cap table like MasterCard and, and JP Morgan. They said, hey, let's build a community-owned and operated wallet, open source wallet. And these guys are just the best community builders we've seen in the space. You should definitely talk to them. Definitely. And as a second okay. as a second person, I would probably add Tim. We just talked about him from 101XYZ. It's a really important project, mm-hmm. in my opinion, because it's you know more on the educational side and as you know, there are a lot of lot of bad actors in this space, so it's very important to have have projects like like this to educate people on security. Okay, guys. So I, I will note that down and thank you a lot for coming today, and you know, see you somewhere. And if you people would like to check out the address, go to their website, see how after this hundreds of hours and iterations, how does it look like? It looks good in my opinion, and it's very clean when it comes to understanding what this address is for. So definitely check it out and, you know, have a good day. Thank you. Appreciate your feedback. Thank you. Thank you, guys.